Well, good morning, everybody. Again, good to see you. If you have a Bible, please take it. Turn to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14. And if you do not have your copy of God's Word here, or you can't pull it up on your phone or tablet or whatever you may have, it'll be on the screen here for you in just a second. It's good to be here. We've been, just to kind of catch you up, we've been walking through verse by verse through the book of James and we are in to this section, which is one of the most controversial um, in the, um, the New Testament. One of the, especially <coughs> one that has caused a lot of people a lot of sleepless nights. And so we, as we go through this and we read it and as we, as we unpack it, I pray that you would just ask the Lord to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And so if you would, in James chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, I'd like to read the scripture to you. This is the word of God given through men by the, by, who were moved by the Holy Spirit. And it says this, What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith, but he doesn't have works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and is lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace and be warmed and filled, without giving them the thing needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith apart, faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish persons, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see, the that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she has received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit of death is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So many reasons that that passage has so much in it. It's crucial to understanding James, but also it's difficult because it seems to lay forth a, a, a controversy between Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, and James, who's written this book of the New Testament. It would seem that, and the most people, even one of the great Bible teachers of all time, Martin Luther, had a problem with James and this section of Scripture, not understanding how Paul and his work in the book of Romans and Galatians that, that would say that faith alone in Jesus Christ makes one justified or right with God, have a right standing with God, how it can be seen and understood in light of James People have, people have seen Paul and James in tension. But I want to tell you this morning that this passage that James is talking about here, that the idea that faith without works is dead, and Paul's idea given by the Holy Spirit that man is justified by faith alone in Christ alone are two sides of the, of a, the same coin. And I actually have a quarter right here. And I also, for demonstrative purposes, have a picture of a quarter coming up. Don't I have it back there? Yeah, there we go. Here we go. We got uh, Mr. Washington here. Now, I understand something. There's some of you who are maybe Bible scholars who are like, uh, excuse me, uh, they did not have United States currency in this time in ancient Rome. Duh, okay. I know that. And it would probably have been Caesar's picture. But if I were to put up a coin with Caesar's picture on it, you would have gone, I don't, okay, big deal. But we all see quarters, right? Quarters are used and coins are used even in our sporting events. We begin them a lot of the time, especially football, with a quarter or a coin and you flip it and it determines things. And so just because on one side of the quarter, what is there? The picture of George Washington, we call it heads. On the other side of the quarter, what do you have? Tails, and good, we got a picture just in case you are unfamiliar with U.S. currency. Oh, there you go, heads and tails. One, you have the picture of Washington. One, you have uh, most of the time, unless like this quarter I have, which was inconvenient, but at least this one up here, you have an eagle or some other picture, maybe a state, what have you. 
the two different sides, they're the same piece of metal. They're the same coin. Am I right? But each of them has something different on each side. And so here I want you to know something. The idea that Paul has is that, that somebody is made right with God by faith in the finished work of Christ. And what James is saying here are not contradictory, but they are complementary. They help us understand something. And here's what Paul in Romans 3.28 would say. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. He'd also go on to say in Romans 4, 1 through 3, that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And so righteousness comes by faith. And so basically, Paul was saying this, and I got it on the screen if you would. Faith alone saves. Should be the next little, uh, little piece of the quarter there. I'm sorry I messed you up, buddy. Go, go two slides down and you got it right there. Faith alone saves. So if we look at it, if we think about it in a, as a quarter, when we think about the heads part of the quarter, of the coin, it's this, that faith alone in Christ alone saves. And here's Paul's major idea, and we see it in the book of Romans, in the book of Galatians. Every one of us has sinned against God and broken his commandments and law. You don't believe me? Just start thinking about his commandments. Because Jesus would make it a little bit harder. He'd say, hey, don't commit murder. You've heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But if you've looked at, at, at your brother and called him a fool in your heart, you've committed murder inside. And I say this all the time, but if you've ever driven, maybe it's because I'm just my inner road rage. I kill people daily in my heart for cutting me off or driving too slow or being in my way for God's sake. Okay? Murderers all around. I, well, I don't know if you would say that. I mean, Jesus says this. You, that, you've heard it said you should not commit adultery. That's one of the Ten Commandments. And he goes on and what did he say? But if you've looked at if you've looked with a at, with lust at some member of the opposite sex in your heart, you're, you're guilty of adultery. The Bible is very clear. Everyone has sinned and broken God's law. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And so there is no way for our sins to be covered except for the grace that was given to us in Jesus, the God Man, came to earth died on the cross, a cross he did not deserve, and was raised on the third day, bearing the penalty of sin. And how does one come to have that work put on their lives as a substitute, credited to our account? It's not by doing good works. It's by faith and trust. It's through faith and trust in God's grace in Jesus Christ. And so here's the good news. You cannot work your way to heaven. That is not, that Paul makes that clear in the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. So he says faith alone saves. Now James, as we just recently read, he says something else. Now he's not contradicting Paul because Paul was fighting Jewish people and Jewish legalism which said if you do all the right things and you do all the religious ceremonies and if you're circumcised and you keep all the law of Moses, that can make you right with God. Paul in the book of Romans basically says that is complete hogwash. You can't keep the law. The law is there to show you you need sin, to show you you need a Savior. And that is why the good news is that faith alone, faith in Christ makes us right with God. Legally, it makes us have right standing with God. So the first half of the coin says faith alone saves. James not being contradictory, not being contradictory but being complementary. That's a tongue twister, as you can obviously say. He says this, faith that saves works. Here's the next, other side of the coin. Saving faith works. And so what does he mean? See, they're writing to two different audiences. James is writing to nominal Christians. Paul was writing to religious people who loved their religion so much that they would borrow laws and laws and laws and laws and instructions and instructions and instructions upon instructions on how to not even get close to breaking the rules. And James is writing to people who are like, yeah, I, I'm a Christian, sure. Yeah, I believe that stuff you're saying, sure. Is my life going to be different? Of course not. Paul was writing to a lot of the kids I had in youth group. I mean, James is writing to a lot of the kids I had in youth group, I think. You may, maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up in a youth group. 
I grew up in a youth group. I also was a youth pastor for a really long time. And there was a ton of kids who, they, they were Christians. Do you know why they called themselves Christians? Because they went to church and their parents went to church. And that's why, I'm a Christian. And I believe all that stuff. You would give them all the Sunday school answers they knew all about. They knew how to answer any question in Sunday school, which is usually Jesus, Bible, or God. You say one of those three things, and everyone's like, that's the right answer, Jesus, Bible, God. Sometimes I got to joke with people. I used to just say all three of them. What's the answer to that question? Jesus, Bible, God. It's good. They knew all the answers. They could tell you the stories. But I want you to know something. They would even claim to be Christians, but their lives spoke otherwise. They had no affection for Jesus. They loved, to, they loved to completely goof off and not care about the things of God. They didn't care to hear the word of God taught. They didn't care to, hear, to, to sing to the Lord. They didn't care for prayer. They didn't care to obey him. And they found they were doing all of the churchy things they could do to make their parents think they were good kids so they could go off and do whatever the heck they wanted to on the weekend. And the parents are like totally surprised, like, I can't believe my daughter's pregnant smoking crack, okay? I was like, I can? Because she has this empty religion. That's not faith. So I want you to know something. James and Paul are not at odds. They're talking to two different audiences, and they're, te- they're telling complementary truths. One is this, that you cannot be right with God on your own works, because your works are nothing, and they cannot take away your sin. On the other hand, faith alone saves, but saving faith works. Saving faith does not leave you the same. Saving faith changes you and you work, and it's a sign and a symbol that you have a faith that is living. And so here is my my goal today. I implore all of us, including myself, to reject the idea, reject dead faith, and to walk, by walk I'm using an idea of to live in a living faith with a living God. Because that is James, that is what James is trying to do. He's trying to show in this passage the folly of thinking that you're just right because you believe the right things. And he wants to show the reality that, sa- that faith that saves works. It does, it's obedient. It follows Jesus and does things. So I want you to show you that today. And how, how are we going to show that? Well, we're going to walk verse by verse through this passage, and we're going to show this. We're going to show why you should reject dead faith, and in so doing, I want to show you that as the opposite of that, a living faith is, is what it looks like as opposed to this dead faith. So if you would, James 2.14 says this, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith and does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm, and be filled, without giving them the, tithe, the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So I want you to get this. The way that, verse 14, the way that, that question is worded, it is, begging, it is begging for us to answer it in the negative. It could be better worded this way. Brothers... You know that faith does that, that does not have works is good for nothing. You may have said that about somebody this week. You are good for nothing, okay? Maybe, hopefully it was not your spouse, okay? If it is, repent, give them a hug, all right? So here's the idea that is, he's basically, James is saying, and he's asking these rhetorical questions, trying to move his, his audience to see this, that faith that does not have works is useless. And then he goes on and he says this, that can that faith save him? The way the question is worded and constructed in the original languages is basically saying faith that does not work is useless and it cannot save you. It's pretty bold. So there's a type of faith, at least it's a pseudo faith. It's an it's a imaginary faith that people have and they think they possess. It's the self-deception. There's a faith out there, a dead faith, that, that, that tries to believe all the right things but it doesn't want to do the work of faith. 
And so that is pointless. And then as, as lovely as James does and as, as, as just picturesque as he does it, he paints for us what he means. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, he's saying, imagine if you will, much like he did in the passage we looked at last week, I want you to think about a scenario in which you were to see somebody who is poorly clothed and hungry. And then he says this, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warmed, be filled, without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? This idea, this, this phrase, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, is a very religious term. In fact, if we were to translate that, and this would be in Hebrew, the word go in peace, that's translated, that little phrase, it should be shalom. You've probably heard that before. It's like this abiding peace be on you. And so there's like this really religious nature to this, this thing. Somebody comes up to you, and they're obviously, they're hurting. They don't have enough to wear. Like it's cold outside, and they're rocking like a windbreaker and jorts, okay? And you know they're cold, and you know they're hungry. It's evident on their face, and you say, shalom. Oh, may God bless you with peace. Be warmed and be filled, but you don't give them anything. It would be like this situation. You're wearing 12 layers of clothes out in 20-degree weather, which could be tomorrow. I don't know, okay, around here. And you are sweating. And this person comes up to you shivering. They got their jorts and their windbreaker on. Some of you are already thinking Florida fans, right? And so they get, they're up there and they're freezing, okay, and, and you just like, man, I'm really kind of sweaty. And they come to you, I am so cold. Well, God bless you. Bless your heart. You know where that's leading, right? Bless your heart. Oh, I, you know what? I'm going to pray for you that, that you, just, you just stay cold. Stay warm out here. God bless you. You stay warm out here. And then walk away. And you're sweating in 12 layers of clothes. Wouldn't that be absurd? Would you say that that person's religious speak is matching up with their life? The God of compassion, the God who loves the orphan and the widow who we've seen in James, the God who, who looks at compassion and, and helps those, the downcast. Are you acting like you know him? No, that would be ridiculous. Like, oh, i got to shed some of these layers when you get in the car and turn on your heat. Look at that guy. He's still cold. Would you think, does your, do your religious God bless you's mean anything? No, okay? Everybody awake out there? Okay, the answer is no, and it's ridiculous. Same thing would be if you saw somebody. You ever been to this place? You over-order at a restaurant because you miss lunch, and you sit down. I'll take 75 appetizers, please. And I would like a lot of those now, okay? Keep them coming. The appetizer is the food you eat before you eat your food, okay? And then you eat the appetizer, and then your food comes, and you order, like, double entree. I mean, you're hungry. You're hangry, okay? You're angry hungry, okay? And so you order, and you over-order, and what happens now? You got more food than you know what to do with, and so you're like, I need a to-go box. But you don't eat leftovers, which I know some don't. Well, before you know it, the waitress bags up your order, and you got ribs hanging out the side bag. You got one of those, I mean, it, you're about to get a hernia. You got another person that needs to help you carry the doggy bag outside because you over-ordered. And it, the absurdity of this would be if someone approached you as hungry and, and you were like, and they said, hey, you got some food? I really want hungry. I'm really hungry. And you just go, oh, God bless you. Oh, I want to tell you something. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Oh, man, the, the God of the Bible will not let his people go without. I'm praying for you, brother. Don't get too hungry out there and you get in your car with your giant rack of ribs that you're probably going to throw away because you don't eat leftovers. And that is what we are talking about here. It's a vivid illustration that shows that religious speak unassociated, without action shows that that faith is dead and has no life to it at all and does not reflect the fact that someone has been indwelt and changed by the Spirit of God. And that's the conclusion that James reaches. He is using an absurd thing, and I want to put it in our own vernacular because probably none of you have said this week, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. But you may have said, oh, bless their heart. And you have the means by which to meet the need 
but you do not have the Constitution to do so. And I want you to see that the Bible and James here is showing his audience and us today in this room that faith like that, faith apart from works, faith that does not work, is dead. It is worthless. It's unable to save. It's not saving faith. It is dead. Verse 17 says, so also by itself, if it does not work, if it does not have works, it's dead. His illustration is this. Obviously, that is not a living faith being shown. He wants us to understand this, just like they're complementary ideas. Biblical faith, biblical saving faith, cannot be separated from works. Faith alone saves us. James really wouldn't argue that. He is arguing with those nominal Christians who wants to say, I I believe and you work, and that's how it is. Arguing for those people who think they can be saved and that faith that saves them doesn't have to be put into action. And the Bible makes it very clear here that saving faith, faith that saves, is a faith that results in action and us to put our feet to the ground, our our. It's where the rubber meets the road of action that we see and we can recognize saving faith. Going on, we want to see this. You should reject dead faith because you see it's folly, because dead faith is worthless because it has no works. It's dead. Secondly, dead faith is useless because it is content with just believing the facts. And if you would, look in verse 18. Going on, he, he, he enters into this situation in which he imagines an opponent. This is a a normal way for people to argue their points in the ancient times. It's a word called diatribe that's used here. And so what what we have, it's it's a device called diatribe. In verse 18, he says this, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Now, this is a difficult section, okay, and I want to just walk through it really quickly. There's a lot of confusion because in the original language, there are no punctuation marks. They get added later. And so what we're left with is trying to piece together exactly what James is meaning here, and he's, he's moving through rhetorical devices very quickly, and also he's using this method. And so what we really have here is we have him bringing out an opponent. It's an imaginary opponent, but he's trying to get in our head. He's, he's imagining objections to what he is saying, and he's moving his argument forward by using questions. And one of the questions, he, he, he proposes somebody, he proposes an opponent who would say, who, who looks at faith this way, he says, listen, The Bible talks about, and even Paul talks about, that some people have the gift of faith. And then he imagines that some people have the gift of works. And he may be encountering an opponent who thinks, listen, works are fine for you, but I am one of those people who really has faith, and that's the thing that defines me. This is kind of a relativism. Which says like, hey, works may, working out your faith and doing and obeying God and, and actually acting out your faith and confidence in Him by doing good works, that's good for you. But what's good for me is just really, really, really believing all of the good news of the gospel. And James is saying, time out. Time out. Look in the rest of ver- at verse 18. He says, Show me your faith apart from works. To his opponent, he gives them, he throws down the gauntlet. Okay, you're saying you 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 can have your faith without works. I want to show me. Show, show me how you can have faith. Prove to me that you have faith without works. I want you to think about that. How do you prove you believe something? How would you prove? that you have salvation. How would you prove that you trust Jesus Christ? Faith is invisible. Can you see faith? Can you see belief? No. You can't see belief unless there's some actions put towards it, right? Because that's what James would say. He says, show me your faith and this is a very important idea. Show me your faith apart from works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Let me give you an example. You might believe that the Titans are going to win the Super Bowl next year. 
you might believe that. But how would I know that to be the case? You would buy season tickets because you won't want to miss out on the Super Bowl season. You might come to church painted up like a Titans fan. I'm thinking Rhonda and Mike. I got you on my eyesight. That's what I'm thinking here. If you don't know Rhonda and Mike, they like the Titans, okay? How would you see that they had faith in the Titans? They buy tickets. They buy apparel. They talk about them. They would go to the games. They would do things that showed that to be the case. And I want you to get this. James is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, you have faith. Well, prove to me that you have faith and that your faith is so great without works. She's got tickets. I didn't plan this, folks, and that was not a plan. Way to go. Hold on. Come on. Yep, those are legit, all right? That's legit. Had to make sure. See, there's faith right there. Their faith in the Titans is expressed in ticket holding and action, all right? You see that? And so here is his idea. Show me to his opponent, show me that you have faith apart from works, and it is impossible to show that you have faith without works. And he says this, you do that, and I will show you, I will put you to shame. In verse 18, show me your faith apart from works, opponent, and I will show you my faith by my works. Our works do not save us, but our works show us that we have saving faith, and they show the world that we have saving faith. Then he goes on, and he wants you to know that there is, <laughs> there is a type of faith, dead faith, is, is shared by the demons as well. In verse 19, he says this, you believe that God is one. That's actually from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. That is one of the bedrocks of, of monotheism, especially Judaism and Christianity. It's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5 says this, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. There is only one God. And so he says this, that that, and that's a biblical idea. That's one of the bedrocks, the foundations of our faith that was laid out by God. And so we see this, you believe that God is one, you do well. It's almost like, hey, good job. And then it goes to the next section that says this, even the demons believe that, and they shudder or tremble. See, dead faith is worthless, unable to save, and dead because it does not have its void of works. But also, dead faith is useless because it's content with just believing the facts. See, the idea here is he's trying to shame this person who says, I have faith. I have this intellectual big faith that's just, that's all I need. He's shaming this person to showing him that, no, faith and works are interconnected and must be together. They're inseparable in, for it to be saving faith. And because of that, you are in folly if you think that all you need is just faith that apart from works, faith that does not work. If your faith that you're thinking you have is actually faulty and false. And so he wants us to see that the demons have an intellectual assent to the fact that there is one God. And they do better than most nominal Christians because at least they tremble at the fact that they're disobeying the one true God. And these nominal Christians who believe, well, I have faith, and I don't have to work, they are not even trembling at the fact that they are disobeying the laws of God. <laughs> and so, in a sense, those who claim Christianity and claim faith, a faith that is faulty and void of works, have lesser faith than the demons who at least shudder at their disobedience to God. Just, just let that sink in for a second. James is getting to this point where he is trying to show his readers that you, a faith that saves is a faith that works. You cannot just believe the facts. That is not biblical faith. It is believing the facts. Yes, the facts are important. The truth is important. But that truth must resonate in your heart and move you to obedience to be shown to be truthful. And then he, he brings us to a third section. He's making his case pretty significantly, I would think. And then he brings in the Old Testament. And he wants us to know that dead faith is useless 
because it is the opposite of a living, working faith that's been recorded and handed down to us and expressed in the Bible. And he gives us two options. He gives us two examples, really. And if you would, go with me down to verse 20, because here is where he continues his argument. He says, do you want, and remember, he's, he's kind of using this diatribe technique, and he says, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Hey, have I not made my case enough? Do you want me to show you, you're, he's already shown this is his opponent to be foolish, and that line of thinking to be foolish, that you could have faith apart from works. No, they're inseparable. And then he goes on and says, do you want me to show you further? This point in the conversation, if I was the opponent, I'd be like, nah, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. But he wants to make sure he's made his point clear and wants to ground it in the Scriptures. And so he goes on, and he says this. Verse 21, was not, and he mentions two people in the, preceding ver- in the verses to come. First one is going to be Abraham. The second is going to be Rahab. And so if we would, I'm going to read the section on Abraham, and we will break it down together. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. So he gives Abraham as an example uh, to these people, especially Abraham would be a a huge example to them because they're coming from, most of them are coming from a Jewish background, and they would see Abraham as their great father, and they had for years, and as an example of true faith. And so for this argument to come into place, he is arguing from one of their, their greatest and most highest lifted up examples of what it means to be a man of faith. Now, this is the point where we have a seeming contradiction between Paul and, and James. But I want to show you here that, first off, the idea of a conflict between the two guys would never have entered into James' mind. I don't think that we have no idea about that because the conflict is something we've kind of, you know, transposed over it. You ever, has anybody ever, like, put an idea in your head and you can't unsee it? You know what I'm talking about? You look for it every time you see that. Like, I don't know what it could be. It could be like you notice that somebody looks like another person, and then you can't unsee that, okay? You know what I mean? And I don't want, and some of you are probably thinking of that exactly right, and I don't want to put that idea in your head because this is where you're going to be for the rest of the day. Yeah, that's right. They do look like that, okay? Like, that person looks like Jim Carrier. This person, da da da, okay? Once some, somebody puts that idea in your head, you can't get it out of there. And so this is what has happened over the years because there's been controversy this passage. People have put this idea that Paul and James are at odds with one another, and they put that in your your brain, and so now you're looking at that, and you can't see the passage otherwise. I have struggled with it this week because that is the framework that I have seen in my mind, but that is not the case. There's no contradiction in Scripture. They're both given by God. They're both were inspired by God to write this, and it's exactly what it's meant to be. And I want you to show you something, that the statements here don't contradict Paul, but add to, they're complementary to Paul, and they speak about Abraham in two different phases of his life and show us something true about faith. All right, let's go back. Abraham, if you're unfamiliar with this, you're going to have some homework this week, okay? You're getting homework from church. Go back and read in the book of Genesis, starting in Genesis chapter 15, going all the way through Genesis 22, because that's where our section begins. There was a man who was named Abram, okay? This is in the Old Testament. And he lived out in the Ur of the Chaldees, which is, I don't know where that is, okay? It's, he's out there, okay? And here's what happened. He was a pagan. And you know what? God called him and said, Abraham, or Abram at this point, he said, Abram, I want you to leave your family, leave your possessions, leave your homeland, take your family, and just follow me. Where are we going? Just follow me. I'm going to make you a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation. I want you to follow me. And this is in Genesis chapter 15. And so you know what Abraham did? He believed God, and he left, and he followed God, and all sorts of craziness inspires because the Old Testament is just totally crazy. You need to check it out. It's awesome. It's a great read, okay? And so he leaves, and in 
In Genesis 15, verse 6, it says this, that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. He was justified. He was made right before God. That's Genesis 15. Okay? That's what Paul, with the passage we mentioned a little bit, that's what he would use in Romans chapter 4 when he would argue that we are saved by faith alone in Christ alone. And so that happens in Genesis 15. As the story unfolds, Abraham and his wife can't have kids. They finally, in their late, 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 late years of life, they have a son, Isaac. It's physically impossible because they are ancient, okay? It's, and they have this son, and he grows up, and God calls Abraham who he's changed his name from Abram to Abraham because he's going to be the father of as many nations because he believed God and he left. And it was, his faith was shown by the fact that he left, okay? And then what happens? God calls him to do something. Abraham, take your son Isaac up on a mountain. I want you to build an altar, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. So Abraham... Takes his only son. This he's, he's ancient. At this point, the prospect of having another kid was he waited so long. Waited so long, and now he has this one. And now, now God's calling him to put him on the altar and kill him. And at the last minute, as Abraham raises his knife, God says, "No, I see now. I was testing you." And I see now your faith, and I've provided something for you. There's a ram in the thicket. That is seen as one of Abraham's great acts of faith. The one, kind of the last test we see of his faith in the Bible. Now, I want you to notice something about this passage in James chapter 2. In verse 21. What does James refer to? He refers to the Genesis 22 instance of Abraham and Isaac. Look in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Now, I'm not necessarily that intelligent, but I know something. Genesis 15, if we're going to follow normal, follow normal number patterns, is it before or after Genesis 22. It's before. Therefore, Abraham was justified by his faith in Genesis 15. And yet his faith was declared yet again to be righteous in Genesis chapter 22. I want you to see this very clearly. James and Paul are not fighting each other. James is just pointing out this, that Faith that is true and faith that is sincere, saving faith, expresses itself and is evident through works. And the great penultimate example in Abraham's life was the fact that he was willing to give his son to show God that he trusted him. And you see that faith is faith and works are inseparable. That is his goal. And then verse 22, he takes that one step farther. And in verse 22, he says, you see that faith was active along with his works. So you remember, just because you talk about works, and we get a little nervous about this, just because you talk about works doesn't mean faith is not there. Faith and works work together. Saving faith has to be characterized by works. Works don't save us, but the works are evidence that we have a faith that does save. And then he goes on and he says this, and faith was completed by his works. Now, this word completed has an idea, at least in, in an English word completed, it has the idea of not it's, not, it's not done. Maybe some of you have been in a situation where you were taking a course, like a college course, maybe you got sick in the middle of it, and you received, instead of a letter grade, like an A, B, C, or D, um, or F. I almost said E, but you know, maybe kindergarten you get an E. I don't know. But maybe you've gotten, because you got sick or something happened in the class and you didn't fulfill one of the assignments, you got it incomplete. 
That means uh, well, you did not do everything. Something was lacking. This word complete here, it's translated, this Greek word, has, this, has a different idea of to bring to an end or to bring to its completion. And I want you to know something. It just geeks me out, okay, because I think this is, this, is the, this is the core of it. Abraham's faith that he placed in God had reached its completion, or at least it, it reached its goal because he believed God so much he was willing to give God everything. You hear me? That is the completion of faith. It's not like it was incomplete before works happened. No, the works show the goal of faith. And the goal of faith is to run to a father who's worthy of trust and your life to exemplify that trust. See, we're not calling people out from when we preach the Bible in this church. We're not calling you just to believe a bunch of things. We are calling you, yes, to believe the good news, but to be gripped by the good news and to be changed by the good news and to obey the God of the good news and to walk as a friend of this God. Remember, verse 23, now James is going to quote Genesis 15, where we see the same one Paul would use in Romans chapter 4, when he's talking about one is justified by faith, not by works of the law. And so in verse 23, James mentions this passage that happened earlier. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So here's the, here's the real argument. Abraham believed God and it was brought to fulfillment and completion and shown that his faith was true and sincere by the fact that he would sacrifice Isaac. That's the completion. Faith brought about works, and it's the completion. Works and faith are inseparable. And then it says this, and he was called a friend of God. Now, I want you to know something. His status as a friend of God was not based on his works, but his friendship with God grew because of his faith in him. How many of you have people that you've become close friends with because you have walked through life together? You know? Think about that. There are some of the people that, that when I first met them, I thought, hey, we'll be nominal friends. I mean, maybe you don't assess things like that, but you, maybe you do, and you're like, well, we're, you know, you kind of like them, but you don't, you know, and you, let, you, you laugh, you joke, you go to a couple movies, you like the person, you have them over for dinner, they're cool, but you don't necessarily see this long-lasting friendship that goes on forever. And then I'm just thinking about my college roommate. I mean, we're, <laughs> you and I, we're going to live in a dorm. It's not like we're going to become best pals. But as life happened and as we were both at the point of, of meeting our wives and, and getting married, we just formed a bond together. And we did ministry together. We had life. We had these experiences together. And what happened? Our friendship grew and I want you to see this here with Abraham. God sought him out and befriended him when he was nothing, and he believed God, and it was attributed, accounted to him as righteousness. And that righteousness saw its completion in, and saw its, not it was incomplete, but saw its fulfillment in the fact that he worked and he put his trust in Abraham, and he moved and he, he went, he put his faith in the action. But through that process, he got to know the God of the universe, and it was said in this book of Scripture that he's a friend of God now. Now that is the aim and the goal, to obey out of knowledge of God so that we might know God more in the obeying. That's a living faith right there. That's the opposite of a dead faith that just believes some facts and just shows up and does their duty. Like, yeah, I checked the box. I showed up. I was bored for an hour this week, and so now I can go home. <laughs> Whoa, that is not biblical faith or Christianity. It's a call to know a God, to have a faith that grips you. Not a faith that you have, but a faith that has you and moves you to know God. Going on, 
I want you to see this. Verse 24, this is, the, this is probably the most difficult rub we have here with, with James and Paul. But I want to remind you, remember, James, James was not writing against Paul, and I don't see we have any reason to think that. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And he's basically saying this. That, that, he, that, that a, a person, and give me all the context, a person that has saving faith also has works. That a, a faith that saves is a faith that works, and therefore it can't just be an unaccompanied faith. Remember, he's writing to this guy that says, all I have to do is believe. He's not fighting against Paul. He's fighting against this, this character he's made up that thinks all you have to do is just believe some facts. They say, that's not enough. One writer put it this way, and I think this sum, sum, summarizes what, it, what James is getting at. Had there been no works, Abraham would not have been justified, but that would have been because the absence of works would mean that he had no real faith. Let me just read that to you again because this, so, this is heavy. Had there been no works, Abraham would not have been justified. But that would have been because the absence of works would mean that he had no real faith. Faith alone saves. Saving faith works. Finally, we have this next scandalous, scandalous person who comes to the forefront in verse 25. And he says, in the same, was not, and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. We got this story in Joshua chapter 2 in which the people of God are saved by a prostitute because there's messengers sent in into the, to the, the, the city of Jericho. And there have been attempts over amongst scholars to try to say she wasn't a prostitute. No, the word means what it means. She was a prostitute. And she's actually in the lineage of Jesus. And she's actually seen as one of these, these people who was living this life. She believed God. It was exemplified, but she would commit treason against the very country she lived in, her town she lived in, Jericho, and send the spies away. Do you know why? She, you know what happened? They came and said, the Israelite spies came into the city and said, the city is going to be destroyed by our God. She said, okay, I believe you. I don't believe these people can, these big fortified walls can help me. So what does she do? She hides and sends the spies away. And what we see here, her faith was expressed through works. Because had she said, yeah, I absolutely believe you, but hey, guys, they're in here. That wouldn't be an example that she believed God, would it? To be she was hedging her bets, and that was exactly not the point. Faith and works are inseparable. Faith alone saves, but saving faith works. And so we see he sums up the argument at the end. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. And here's the idea. Without the spirit... And it's talking about the, the, the Spirit of God breathing into his life. If you've ever seen someone pass away, it is a weird thing. Yes, their bodily functions cease. But there's something about them that is life that just leaves. And that's a biblical idea. And then you can see it in the, the garden where God breathes life into people. And so just as a body apart from the Spirit, is dead. So faith without works is dead. You may be here today and think that all we're calling you to do is believe some facts, assent to some things, <coughs> believe Jesus is Lord, and you can go live however you want to live. You certainly can. That is a possibility. I want you to know something. That's, don't, don't you think for a second that that faith will save you or that faith is what God requires. No, I'm talking about something so much deeper. A saving faith is evidenced by works. God saves us. We can't do anything to save ourselves. We can't do anything to add to his perfect righteousness. It's all about Christ and Christ alone and bowing before him and, and trusting in his sacrifice, turning from our sins and believing in his name. That's how we are saved. But that saving faith, that saving faith must work and show itself to be true and must be accompanied by action because true saving faith 
you don't possess, it possesses you. And it is a sign and a symbol that you know God, you're a friend of God, that you have been redeemed and changed. And so I want you to know something. If that is what you've been thinking faith is, is just mental assent, <laughs> you may need to call out to Jesus in repentance and faith and be saved. Secondly, there are many of us who would affirm everything that was said today. But we have been living in sin. And we have been living in disobedience. And we have been living without taking steps of faith. Remember the book of Romans, it says that everything that's not done in faith is sin. And so many of us need to repent. And we need to realize that if my faith is genuine, it will work. It will obey. It will it manifest itself in acts of kindness. It will manifest itself in acts of obedience. So the call today is come to Christ. Believe in his name and have a faith. Come embrace a faith that is living and active and that will possess you. The other, the other is for this. Those of you who would just say, I, man, I'm right along with you. I agree with you, this doctrinal principle you're putting off. Let it let you be gripped by your core and turn from sin and turn from lives of small turn from small lives and embrace the faith that helps you know God and be controlled by him. Turn from your sin and your folly and embrace a faith that works. It is this beautiful faith that calls us to our king that calls us to be a friend of God. That's the call. So I want you to do this if you would. Just a moment, we're going to take the offering. I feel like we need to just sit a moment. If you would, bow your head and close your eyes. There's nothing significant about this except for we're trying to focus our heart's attention on the Lord. And I ask you to take a, a couple of moments and ask the Lord, God, where am I? If you're at that place where you need salvation and you see the f that your faith is faulty, invite you to find an elder or a member of this church and have them explain to you the gospel and counsel with you. Secondly, those of us who would affirm everything that was said here about faith will have some disobedient areas, some just some stronghold disobedient areas in our life. Repent of those and ask the Lord to break the chains. Father, we come, we want to be obedient. Bring life where there is now death. Bring living faith where there is dead faith. Bring repentance to those who need it. Give grace and encouragement to those who need it. We bow before you and your word. In Jesus' name, amen.